I just got back from a trip down to Austin, Texas. I played a show, got to see some friends, had a really good time. I could have flown down there, and it probably would have taken me three hours or so, but I figure why fly when you can drive? So I drove a little more than 12 hours getting there, and it took 15 and a half hours to get back. Got stuck in a lot of traffic. Drove 15 and a half hours straight in one day. Did not expect to do that, but it's an occupational hazard that happens every now and then. But on the way down there, I drove all the way from Nashville to Tyler, Texas, got a hotel. I spent the night there in Tyler, Texas, and the next morning I got up nice and early so I could drive into Austin. But before I left, I stopped by this graveyard and I visited David Koresh's grave. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know that much about the Branch Davidian thing. I remember sitting behind the bar at the patio in Indianapolis when that whole thing went down. Me and my buddy Rowdy were watching it on TV. That's actually the name that his mom gave him, Rowdy Cup. I haven't seen Rowdy in a while. I hope he's doing well. But we were watching that on TV and we're kind of in disbelief. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go by there. And you know, it was a modest little cemetery. It was raining. And I got a little bit wet walking around trying to find his grave. I thought he would have been buried in Waco instead of Tyler, but I'm not sure what the deal was there. Maybe he was originally from there. I finally found his grave, and I'm just standing there looking at it. You know, it's like David Koresh's grave. Here it is. I'm standing out in the rain, getting wet. And it's one of those moments that we all have every now and then. I just stood there and thought, what in the hell am I doing with my life? Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. I get a lot of emails from people asking me to share more personal stories on the show, and a lot of times people ask me about the graves that I've visited, since I've mentioned them in passing in the intros to a lot of these shows, and I figured I would do an episode where I share some of those stories. So just imagine you're sitting in the passenger seat with me as we drive up and down the road, on Otis's graveyard tour. I've talked about it before, but my best friend for over 30 years is Todd Fox. He's my favorite travel partner. We're both way too mellow and enjoy esoteric things. It was pretty hard back before the internet days to find things to go visit in different towns. We would just pull up into a town and ask, do you have anything like a giant statue of a chicken? You know, or do you have the world's largest ball of twine or something like that? 
Did anything strange and notable happen in your town? Like, did Buddy Holly's plane crash here? Just things like that. And sometimes people would, you know, give us an answer and we'd go see some of these things. I would ask this question from the stage a lot of times. Is there anything interesting and notable about your area that I might go visit tomorrow morning? And people were always happy that I showed an interest and they would tell us things. So the very first grave we ever visited was in St. Louis. Somehow I found out that uh, William S. Burroughs was buried there at Bellefontaine Cemetery. And I remember we drove out, Todd and I, and we had no map of the cemetery or anything, just kind of driving through looking for something that says Burroughs. We finally find William S. Burroughs' grave. There's a tombstone there. And we get out and we're taking pictures. It's just a beautiful day feeling great about the world, and we've read all these books that Burroughs has written, and here we are at his grave. So as we stood there for a little while, we noticed something that didn't make much sense. It said William S. Burroughs, and it says that he was born in 1857 and died in 1898. You know, that's 100 years earlier than when William S. Burroughs actually died. So we're thinking we have the wrong guy, and uh, we're kind of bummed out. So we went up to the office at the cemetery, and we walked in, and we asked, and uh, there was a grounds crew guy who uh, said, hey, I, I can help you out. And uh, he told us that's actually William S. Burroughs, the writer. That's his grandfather who is buried right there, and his grandfather was famous because he invented the adding machine that uh, was used nationwide in banks. But we were in luck. The William S. Burroughs that we were looking for is actually buried right there with him also. It just wasn't marked with a stone. So we accidentally got to the right place. But that started it off. That was the very first interesting grave that we'd visited. I believe it was on that same trip. We went out to Oklahoma and ended up in Tulsa. And we'd heard that Sam Kennison was buried right there. So we immediately went out to the cemetery to so as we're standing there at Sam Kennison's grave, we look over, and not very far away at all, there's a stone that says Bob Wills. So we walk over, and it's actually Bob Wills's grave. The king of Texas swing is buried in Tulsa. And we got a good laugh over that. We're thinking that Oklahoma might have won that one. But that was it. We were hooked. And uh, Bob Wills, I guess, was the very first musician's grave that I'd ever visited. Unless there was an earlier one that Todd will tell me about later, but that's the first one I remember us going to on that trip. We were in Vienna, Austria, and we're just enjoying the sights, going in and out of shops, and we kept seeing these posters and signs in all the local shops. It would say, we love you, Falco. We miss you, Falco. Falco forever, all of these tributes to Falco. So I started asking the people in these shops, you know, why is this up here? What is this? They said, Falco recently died in a terrible auto accident. You know, he's a hero to the people of Austria. He's like Elvis. And I didn't realize that, but it was beautiful seeing these people pay tribute to him this way. And uh, as obvious, very important <laughs> musical figure. And I can remember back in high school, I had 
a cassette tape a buddy of mine made for me that was a German, it was either German language or Austrian language. I'm going to assume it was Austrian version of Falco singing Der Kommissar. And it was great because I couldn't understand the lyrics. And uh, something great about hearing people sing in foreign languages, the lyrics automatically get better when you don't know what they are. And it makes the whole song better, I think. But I had that. I thought that was great when I was a kid. I thought Rock Me Amadeus was great. I enjoyed that. So this is all Falco. So we asked him, so is, he, is he buried anywhere around Vienna? And they said, yes, actually he's buried in Central Friedhof. We thought we have to go. So we went out to the cemetery and walked into the office in the front and were asking, you know, you guys know where Falco is? And they gave us a little bit of an idea. And they said, there's some other graves that you need to visit also while you're here. And they told us about on the way to Falco's grave, there's a circle of great composers where Beethoven, uh, Brahms, Strauss, Schubert. There's a bunch of composers who are buried in this little gray, uh, circle facing each other, and um, which was a great thing to stumble upon. This is a beautiful, beautiful cemetery. I mean, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's hard to describe. The stones were just so different than anything that we'd see in the United States. There'd be big knights of shining armor, you know, made out of granite. That would be someone's tombstone. It was great. All-time great movie, The Third Man. All of the funeral f scenes were filmed in the cemetery. So that would give you an idea of what it was like. But as we're there in that circle of great composers, um, we see Mozart's grave. A little fun aside, Mozart was actually buried in a common grave in a different cemetery. They would refer to, sometimes it's said that he was buried in a pauper's grave, and that's not completely accurate. A common grave is what just common people would all be put into a mass grave. If you were an important person or a notable you know, person with money is usually the difference, then uh, you would actually get some kind of a stone. But it's unknown where his body actually is. That's unable to, we're unable to find it in the other cemetery. So they just, moved, they just moved the headstone there into the composer's circle. And if you've seen the, the movie Amadeus, which is great, it's a great movie, there's that rivalry that Salieri had with him. And uh, Salieri was great in his own right, but he was no Mozart. I don't want to give away the movie, but there's a really, really interesting relationship they had. So Salieri was not buried in the circle of great composers with Mozart. He was buried in the outskirts away from the circle and uh, not given the same tribute, which that's an interesting aside. So we take all of that in and we finally get... To Falco's grave, and it is one of the most amazing graves I've ever visited. It's uh, it's hard to describe it, but I'll do my best. There's probably a 10-foot obelisk that says Falco on it. Off of one side of the obelisk is clear glass that comes down in a half circle all the way to the ground, and etched in this clear glass is a black figure of Falco wearing a cape with his arms spread out each side, and it looks like Dracula or something. It is amazingly great. It was uh, We just stood there and laughed and thought, this is the greatest thing ever. 
you know, if you're going to have a grave, man, have a grave. That was a really, really great one. And I urge everybody to Google that and get a good look at it. It's, it's worth seeing. And listen to some Falco, too. Why not? But while we were there, the last grave that we had to find was John Banner. John Banner is famous because he played Sergeant Schultz in Hogan's Heroes. And we wanted to find his grave. We're there, so we got to look for it. Someone told us it was in the cemetery. And this is a huge cemetery. I don't know how many acres. It's probably, you know, 80 acres, maybe more. And we're walking for four hours at least all up and down through this place looking for John Banner. And we never found it. Years later, when I finally ended up online, I found out I think he's buried in a different cemetery altogether. So somebody sent us on a wild goose chase. But we got to enjoy a beautiful, beautiful day in an Austrian cemetery. It used to be really hard to find out where people were buried. And like I said, we'd have to show up in a town and ask. Or I'd read a book and it would mention somebody's burial, somebody interesting. And I would write this stuff down in a notebook. And, you know, just the name of the city, if there's the name of the cemetery... So the next time I'm around there, I would know somebody is buried at least in that cemetery. Sometimes you end up on wild goose chases. I remember that we were in New Orleans probably 20 years ago and looking for Graham Parsons' grave in some cemetery that's kind of in the suburbs of New Orleans, and all of the stones were flat. You know, let's say when you walk through, you don't really see the names upright facing you, so it's that much harder. Everything... All the stones look the same. We walked around for hours looking for Graham Parsons' grave. We couldn't find it. You know, we just didn't know where the hell it was. And we gave up that day and thought maybe we had the wrong cemetery. The next day, we went back, and the office had been closed the day before. So it was open this day. We went back, and we walked in, and we asked the people, where's Graham Parsons buried? And they had no idea we were even talking about they'd never heard of graham parsons and they're looking through and um i think i can't remember how they finally found it but we were in the office with this really nice man for quite a long time and i think he was asking a lot of people that worked there and uh somebody had told him he's actually buried under his real name graham parsons isn't his actual name is cecil ingram connor and he looked it up and found that. And he's asking us, you know, who is this? And we tried to tell him. It's kind of hard to tell people who don't know a lot about music, you know. But we said, he's an important figure, and we're surprised more people don't come and visit it. But we went out and saw the stone. There was a, a real modest stone there. There was a circle that a vase would sit down on top of, and he could put flake flowers in, but around the circle, around the vase, I seem to remember it saying, God's own singer is coming home. And if you look at pictures online, it looks like they've put up some kind of a new stone since then that's a little more elaborate. I don't even know if the original stone is sitting next to that or not, but like I said, it's been 20 years since I've been there. I later, after becoming friends with Mangler, you know, Phil Kaufman, the road mangler, the man who burned Graham Parsons' body out in the desert, Joshua Tree, I asked him, is there anything even, is Graham Parsons even in that grave? And he said that, you know, whatever was left that the police and forensic people were able to scrape up in the desert, his father had sent back to New Orleans. He had a rich father. 
And I guess they all fought over the money and buried him there. But man, we that was easily the hardest grave for us to find. We spent all of one day and then half of the next day in the heat of New Orleans walking around a not-so-great cemetery. We've had other expeditions where we weren't able to find what we were looking for, but that was by far, I think, the hardest. But this has all become way easier now with the Internet. You know, Google Maps has become my best friend, where instead of writing it down in notebooks, if I'm reading something and I stumble across something interesting that happened somewhere, I put a little star on Google Maps and uh, label what it is. And then seven years later, when I'm in the area... I just pull up the map and see there's a star of something I marked seven years earlier, and I can actually go see it now. So I have all kinds of things I've visited along the way, you know, like everything from Jesse Owens' grave in Chicago, you know, to Franz Kafka in Prague. Just a few months ago, I left a little star. I forget where it is, somewhere I believe in northern Ohio or southern Michigan, of the woman who was the model for the Rosie the Riveter poster that we've all seen so many times where she's buried. So one day I'm going to go visit her grave. I have it saved. I'll just be in the area, and there it is. But this is the same thing I did with Jimi Hendrix, uh, Bruce Lee, and Brandon Lee in Seattle. You know, I had just a little time, so got in the car and went out there. There's a lot of fun things I'm able to keep track of now. Technology's just made it so much easier. I mentioned once before in a previous episode, I don't remember which one, but I told the story about how Todd and I decided we wanted to go to Romania. And I didn't know exactly how to make this possible, what we would do when we got there. So this is the early days of the internet. I got on a message board and I met a guy uh, named Radu who lived in Romania. And he said that if you come and visit us. I'll drive you anywhere you want for $20 a day. You know, we're like, all right, let's do it. So we, we flew to Prague and then took a train down through Budapest and down into Romania. And as we got into Romania, the trains became much more rickety and everything got a little stranger and there were chickens on the train. And I started having this feeling of impending doom that we'd done something really, really stupid. It was just like the beginning of uh, Dracula when Bram Stoker's talking about coming down into Transylvania with the feeling of impending doom. I thought maybe this wasn't such a great idea, meeting a stranger on a message board and then flying to some small town in Romania where I'm supposed to meet him. So we got off the train, and we've concocted all of these plans in case you know everything's going to go wrong about what we were going to do to defend ourselves. And it was completely stupid, and it goes along with a lot of things that I've done in my life, but it turned out great. Radu ended up being a great guy. You know, he's a dear friend to this day. He shows up to the shows when I play in Stockholm. He now lives in Sweden. But he drove us all over Romania. And one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to go visit Vlad Tepish's grave. It's Vlad the Impaler. When Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, he based the Dracula character off of Vlad. A lot of you people know exactly who I'm talking about, but if you don't, Google Vlad Tepish or Vlad the Impaler. He was a hero to Romanian people 
because he kept invaders out. But man, he was a horrible, brutal person who impaled people, uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of them along the road, so that if you were going to come and invade, you would see exactly what he would do to you if you were, you know, coming that way. But anyway, we drive out to the middle of nowhere. And when you say middle of nowhere in Romania, I mean, we're really talking middle of nowhere. There's a saying that Romania has one foot in this century and one foot in the last century. And it's really true because you drive down the roads. There are people on horses, horse-drawn carriages, you know, along with the cars. And there's so many people walking just out way out in rural areas, just walking down the side of the roads. And there are more potholes than you have ever seen. So it feels like you're in some other world, which I guess you are in some ways. But we loved it because of that. It was really interesting and fun. But we drive way out to this, outside this town. We're driving out and we get to a lake. And we're there in February, if I remember right. We park somewhere away from the lake, walk out towards it, and the lake is frozen. And we have to walk across the ice out to an island on the lake where there's a a big monastery. We're walking across this frozen lake. I'm trying not to fall down on the ice. We're thinking, what in the hell have we got ourselves into? We get out there, and it's quite a journey. This is no easy place to get to. We get out to this island, and we come in, and there's one monk who is taking care of the monastery. We're inside this cathedral-type thing, stone everywhere, you know, rock, just big stone floors, and the Romanian people will put out a lot of handmade rugs across the stone floors to help keep it warm. So they're kind of laid out in a pattern overlapping each other. It's really pretty neat. You got a big fire going in this huge fireplace. My memory's a little bit fuzzy, but I seem to remember somewhere close to the fireplace, down on the floor, there is a tomb built into the floor of Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler. We stood there and took it in. It was kind of creepy. It was kind of fun. It was strange, but uh, I'm having these thoughts about Vlad, who was known for impaling his enemies, and he'd collect the blood in jars and would have dinner next to their bodies. He would dip his bread in their blood and eat it. You know, he had quite the reputation as being a horrible, fierce person, and you do not want to invade Romania because you do not want to deal with Vlad. And uh, for that reason, I guess he's a hero to Romanians and <laughs> a horrible person to the rest of us. But that was a pretty amazing experience. That in itself would have been enough. But the one monk who lives there and takes care of it kept motioning to us. And he has this huge book, really big, huge book, uh, sitting there on a pedestal. I guess it's some kind of a guest book, and he's wanting us to sign in. So we signed our names. He starts motioning, and, you know, he, he doesn't speak English, and we don't speak Romanian, but Radu, you know, speaks English perfectly. And the Radu is acting as our interpreter, but the guy's mainly just motioning, and he's really excited that we see something. So he's turning pages, turning pages of this big, huge, ancient, dusty guest book, and he's turning pages, and he finally gets back you know, way far into the book and stops and puts his finger down and he's pointing in a rather animated way, like it's really important that we see this. So we lean over and we look 
And right there is the signature in this dusty old ancient guest book. It says Michael Jackson. And we all looked up at each other and just started laughing out loud. We started imagining the king of pop walking across that frozen lake, <laughs> moonwalking across the frozen lake to come and visit that. I guess he was there on the victory tour when they played Bucharest and he wanted to see Vlad's tomb also. I love Romania to this day and miss it. We'd been twice and I'd love to go back again. Maybe someday soon, but if you're listening, Radu, hope things are good with you. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I hope you guys enjoyed this little trip down memory lane on the graveyard tour with Otis. If you enjoyed this, maybe we'll do it again somewhere down the road. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.